Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hi, Barry Guy here with Extra Time. And this week, the All Blacks England rugby test this year won't happen. But what will happen is that some super rugby teams are going to get the chop, but we don't know which ones. The spotlight has fallen on Black Cap skipper Kane Williamson as his side struggles against South Africa. The All Whites take their next step towards qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. And the new domestic netball competition is about to start, but how competitive will it be? The New Zealand cricketers are having their struggles in the Test Series against South Africa. They drew the first game in Dunedin, but were well beaten in three days in the second match in Wellington. The Black Caps were without batsman Ross Taylor for the second Test, and he's now been joined on the sidelines by opening bowlers Trent Bolt and Tim Southey with injuries. Sports editor and cricket reporter Stephen Hewson joins me. Stephen, the home side now seems to be really under the pump. Yeah, well, they don't call it a, a test match for, for nothing, Barry, and it's even more testing for them come come Hamilton. I mean, what well, we've had uh, Tim Southey and Trent Bolt uh, pull out sort of within 48 hours of the match getting underway. They're obviously um, already without Ross Taylor, and I was just counting up the, the test match experience between that trio, uh, trio um, and Bolt has played 50 tests, Tim Southey 57 and Ross Taylor 81, so you're taking out... 188 test caps, which, given uh, the way things went in that last second test, the black caps need all the experience they can get. I mean, if you're looking for a, a beacon of, of hope somewhere, um, the Hamilton pitch is supposed to be uh, more spinner-friendly, so the black caps would have been taking two, or will be taking two spinners in, no doubt, in uh, Jeetan Patel and uh, Mitch Santner. Uh, what that means then presumably as though he could well be doing the bulk of the bowling um, but when you lose the experience and the wicket-taking abilities of Tim Southey and Trent Bolt it's a, it's a huge loss and you couple that with obviously the, the, the run scoring of Ross Taylor um, it's, it's not, looking, not, not looking particularly flat. Uh, South Africa, of course, are one of the top sides around, and uh, you know, so as you say, it's expected to be a test. How do you think uh, Captain Kane Williamson's uh, coping? Well, he's, I, I think we sort of possibly saw a, a tipping point there in that second test with the loss of Ross Taylor not being there. It was left or to him to simply be the, I suppose, the complete backbone of the batting. Order. I mean, he got a little bit of support. He got some support from Jeet Raval, the opener, the young opener, and also Henry Nichols, who scored his maiden Test century in that that match. But possibly we saw that maybe that the pressure sort of it's finally maybe taking the toll of having to be captain in, in all three formats, uh, and leading a side that that's struggling because that they went down by uh, eight wickets in that match. And Kane Williamson had his lowest return ever in a. Test match, uh, scoring just three runs in total, or two, two scoring two and one and, and two turns at bat. So, so maybe that's it's we've hit that tip of, tipping point with him because he's the kind of guy that he sort of leads by his actions um, rather than sort of uh, being terribly vociferous or um, extrovert in anything that he does. He's very sort of uh, 
um, measured in his approach to things. Um, so it's uh, yeah, the, the, this third test um, is only going to be a further further struggle, I think, for the Black Caps. Maybe the the weather's going to come to their, their aid of the, the rain rains forecast to fall throughout the the match pretty much. Um, but again, um, they need to show that they've got uh, uh, the ability to turn this around because after the the humbling in Wellington, that they need to to show they're made of sterner stuff. This Black Cap side. Uh, is it time come for perhaps to manage Williamson's uh, workload a bit more? Perhaps um, you know share it around. Possibly for, for maybe the the one day as in T Twenty, someone else could look to captain the side. It, it, uh, if it comes down to the fact that he's going to have to be the the backbone of that batting lineup and be relied upon so heavily, maybe, maybe he does need a break. Remember, he had a, a week off last year. At one point, he said he just needed a, a break, and. Uh, We've got the Champions Trophy coming up. There's no more test matches for uh, New Zealand until pretty much next summer, um, so there is some relief there. But but certainly something worth, worth considering, I think, if, if what we're seeing is, is going to continue. Thanks, Stephen. This is Extra Time. New Zealand's top netballers are confident they won't lose any ground against Australia when their new domestic competition starts this weekend without their old rivals. The two countries decided to part ways last year and set up their own standalone leagues and our elite netballers are determined it won't compromise our footing at the international level. Here's our netball correspondent, Bridget Tunnicliffe. After nine years of trans-Tasman netball, the lopsided results in Australia's favour meant the split was inevitable. The new ANZ Premiership features five of the existing franchises in addition to the new Northern Stars team based in South Auckland. The Southern Steel captain Wendy Frew, who played in the old domestic league before it was replaced by the Trans-Tasman competition, is excited about a return to the old days. For me, I was playing when it was the Sting days and we were you know, um, doing the New Zealand Derby matches, so it's quite exciting to go back to that and there's a lot of hype around it, which is really refreshing and um, I know everyone's eager to get into it. There is some concern that by not playing Australian sides regularly, the gap between the Silver Ferns and the world champions will grow. But others believe the Trans-Tasman competition may have actually been detrimental to New Zealand teams, who at times tried to replicate the Australian style of play. Experienced Australian coach Julie Hornweg was brought over to lead the new Southern Stars outfit and is impressed by the natural flair the players here possess. Oh, their athleticism. They, they can jump and leap and bound and do some amazing things. So it's really quite exciting to watch, actually. Julie Hornweg says if New Zealand sides go about their job well and train with a high intensity, those talents can be fully harnessed. It's about how to bring those qualities out in a game and, and, and practising the sorts of things and the intensity you need to practise at training. So I, I think probably the training is what I noticed was a little different. The new coach of the Central Pulse, Yvette McCausland-Jury, is also the Silver Ferns assistant coach. She says a new competition, coupled with the introduction of the Beko League last year, which underpins top-tier netball, is good for player development. At 16 years old, Tiana Maturo, the daughter of Silver Ferns legend White Monu, will be the youngest player in the ANZ Premiership when she bibs up for the pulse. McCausland and Jury says there is exciting talent coming through. What we can see across all teams is there are a number of really young players who may not have had this opportunity earlier. And I think people like Tiana are really special and while she will be the youngest player in the Premiership, she has been around a high performance environment for a very long time and to seeing a lot of our young players on this platform. 
Former Silver Ferns captain Casey Corper returns to the court after a year out following the birth of her first child. It's a highly anticipated comeback, but Corper has been cautious about her Silver Ferns prospects. At the moment, it's just pure ANZ Premiership. Just take it a week at a time, but just when I get, you know, get out on court and I guess establish my confidence again and things like that. You know, I might not be able to um, keep up and things like that. So, pretty much see how it goes. As for who might take out the title, the Southern Steel are firm favourites after retaining most of their squad from the one that won the minor premiership last year. The competition kicks off on Sunday in Hamilton with a super round featuring all six teams. Bridget Tunnicliffe with that report, and this is Extra Time. England's rugby coach Eddie Jones has been crowing about his side's performance in winning the Six Nations, although it did fizzle out somewhat when they were beaten by Ireland in their final game. England and its media have wanted to meet the All Blacks this year, despite it not being on the 2017 schedule. It was confirmed that the All Blacks would stick with their original plan and play the Barbarians, along with France, Scotland and Wales, on their end-of-year tour, and they would not play England. Joe Porter is our rugby reporter. Joe, I suppose in a way the decision isn't really a surprise. No. I mean, the All Blacks coach, Steve Hansen, would have always been reluctant to have played this match against England at the end of what was already looking like a fairly torrid schedule in 2017 with, of course, the British and Irish Lions touring here in June, the Rugby Championship, and then the end of year tour where I think they're playing France, Scotland and Wales already. So to add an England test match, you know, the second ranked team in the world to the end of of that tour would have been a tough ask for the All Blacks and they might have been up against a hiding to nothing. However, it would have made a a whole lot more revenue for New Zealand rugby Steve Hansen knew that, so he wouldn't have stood in the way. It was revealed that he wouldn't have stood in the way of the New Zealand rugby had they wanted to organise that test match or change it to England from the Barbars. But New Zealand rugby agreed with Hansen, and I guess to protect their players from burnout, they've decided to go with their original preference, which was the Barbars, whereby they won't play a full strength All Black side and at the end of the year, and I guess give their chances, uh, players sorry, a chance to recover. So less money, but you know perhaps it sticks to the scheduling and it keeps the All Blacks coaches happy. So. A shame for fans, but NZR's preference, and that's what they've gone with in the end. And, and England, credit to them, they've allowed that to happen. Uh, yeah, a few years ago, they used to, you know, there was the third Bledisloe Cup test. There were five matches on the end-of-year tour. Uh, and I suppose if last year's anything to go by, that loss to, to Ireland first up. I mean, uh, I, I think Hanson mentioned just uh, how tough it is for them to, to keep going at the end of the year. Yeah, he did, and in the review that the All Blacks had with the NZR board just recently surrounding the interview tour, the coaches, Hanson and co, essentially said they limped across the line in Europe last year. So obviously some, some tough results. They revenged, I guess, or revenged that loss to Ireland in Chicago and Dublin, but it took a real toll on the players, and, and they struggled to get there just in terms of just physical conditioning and, I guess, mental stamina. So... They're incredibly hard on bodies, those all-black tours at the end of the year. They go through a whole heap of different time zones, America, Europe. They're not just playing in the same city. It's not even in the same country. They're going from England to France, back to Wales, to Ireland. So a lot of time zones, a lot of hard, uh, pressure on bodies, and, and they are really hard. So understandable that it hasn't panned out in that sense, and, and certainly Steve Hansen will be a relieved man. Uh, yeah, I think we touched on it uh, last week. The uh, the international, the calendar, the you know the, that uh, the IRB, the World Rugby is trying to get. And it just shows how tough it is for 
Sanzar nations to go north at the end of the year, and the same with the northern hemisphere teams to come down here. We always used to complain that it wasn't the, always the best team from England or Wales or whatever that would come down, and there'd be a hiding. But I suppose this just goes to show how difficult to, um, the situation is, and really there is no one answer for it to be even, and perhaps the only time then when it, it is even and competitive is at a World Cup. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, Bill Beaumont, the chairman of World Rugby, I think came out and said that they, know they didn't get close to their ultimate uh, desire or dream, I guess, to have this international global season, but they've come as close as possible working within the realities of how it works. So it may be what we, what we see is the best we're going to get, and in that sense uh, it might be hard, I think, for them to really come up with a truly international season. So what we get is, is good. It means we don't break up Super Rugby. And, of course, we carry on. But, yeah, end of year two are too hard to put England at the end of the All Blacks match. I think uh, they would have worried about that one. Uh, Super Rugby, we still don't know what uh, is going to happen next year as far as the number of teams, but I think you've been told that uh, uh, New Zealand's pretty happy with the situation, so we can assume from that that there's no change for us? Yeah, very little detail has obviously come out. No one wants to be the leak. Steve Chu's. we talked to Steve Chu about this yesterday, the NZR chief executive, and... He said New Zealand will be happy with New Zealand rugby is happy with the outcome of the decisions made in London by Sanzar over the shape of the future competition. So you can only assume that all five New Zealand teams stay. What we understand is that two South African teams are going, one Australian team reducing the number of teams to fifteen in the competition. NZR are happy with that. There's a few people that obviously aren't, so there has to be some final details ratified and I guess concluded before the result or the details of the new structure can be announced publicly publicly. Steve Chu and a bunch of other interested parties want that to happen as soon as possible because there are teams with the axe hanging above their heads at the moment trying to focus on playing rugby. So it's an unfortunate situation for some of them. However, New Zealand rugby are happy with the outcome, so you would imagine that no New Zealand teams are going at the very least. Uh, Southern Kings seems to be the one of two, as you said, in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, interesting situation. I, I see uh, all of the Australian teams are urging their fans to get out and they need mm-hmm. to raise some money and the profile and all those sorts of things. Any sort of inkling possibly what one team, what may happen in Australia? Well, the feeling is that the Queensland Reds and the New South Wales Waratahs, I guess in the heartland of Australian rugby, are safe. Those teams won't be touched. The biggest commercial markets, Brisbane and Sydney, makes sense. Canberra, where the Brumbies play now, the Brumbies may traditionally have been one of the strongest Australian sides, especially in terms of New Zealand fans. We always used to fear them quite a bit. But Canberra, not a market they're trying to grow the game and, and not doing so well. So there's talk that the Brumbies will move from Canberra to Melbourne, where they will join or amalgamate with the Rebels and create one team in Melbourne. Therefore, I guess you're axing the Brumbies, but you're emerging one team. That's how you lose the team from Australia. So you can keep the Western Force in, Force in Perth and try and grow the game in Western Australia. You keep a team in Melbourne, trying to, I guess, spread its roots in the AFL-dominated Victoria, and you keep a team in the heartlands of Sydney and Brisbane. So that would make sense to me. And, of course, you keep the Brumbies with their strong historical brand. Rebels maybe haven't quite sort of caught on in that sense. So you keep the Brumbies' strong historical brand and and, and their history of rugby, but in a new city with perhaps a bigger fan base and, and an eye to the future. So that looks like what might happen, but no one knows. And so all these teams are trying to recruit players for next year and, get their books all in order but they don't know what's going on so it's very hard to find any kind of stability so they'll be really hoping this the finalized details come out very soon thanks joe just like to point out that he got both of our super rugby selections correct last week while i got both wrong well that's why he's the rugby reporter this is extra time 
The All Whites coach Anthony Hudson wants his side to dominate the rest of the Oceania World Cup qualifying series as they work towards qualification for next year's tournament in Russia. Hudson has managed to get his best possible side together for games against Fiji over the next few days. The squad has been in Wellington this week preparing for Saturday's first game in Lotoka. It's a hole over. The All Whites win 1 0. All Whites are off to South Africa. The All-Whites have a few games to go yet before they have a chance of repeating that success in 2009. The New Zealanders will need two wins against Fiji over the next few days to make sure they progress to the next stage, which will be against the winner of the other Oceania group. The side is favoured to win the Oceania qualification series, but sometimes they've made it hard for themselves. Hudson has made it a mission to banish the underdog mindset from his side, and veteran striker Shane Smeltz says they go into this weekend's game as overwhelming favourites, and rightly so. I don't think there is anything we need to be too concerned about, but destiny's in our own hands, you know what I mean? If, if we're relaxed, that's probably the biggest thing that, that, can, that can hurt us. I'm sure if, you, if you're spoken to the gaffer, that's not going to happen. You know, everyone's going to be on their toes and going to make sure that we, we get the right result. Dominance has been the buzzword in camp this week. Forward Marco Rojas says New Zealand should be winning matches like this comfortably. What's more important than the goals is obviously winning the games and dominating the games. Dominating from the first minute to the last minute. Using these games obviously to get the points because we need those for the World Cup qualifying. But um, as a springboard to then improve in the in the games against better opposition and hopefully these next two games you'll see a more dominant New Zealand side. Coach Anthony Hudson says winning this series is very much about them rather than the opposition. While there isn't much video on Fiji, Hudson says they've done as much homework as they can. We're not going to turn up and just beat them. Yeah, you're right, it is about us. But we've got to have the right mentality for it to be about us. We want to go and win the game. There's nothing, no two ways about it. We prepared for this tour like we've prepared for no other tour since I've been here. Even Mexico, even other Nations Cup. So this is how important it is to us. While the All-Whites have managed to draw on players from leagues right around the world, the same can't be said for Fiji. Their French coach, Christophe Gamel, took over the job in December. He knows it will be difficult for his side, a group of amateurs coming up against professionals. If I say uh, not, it's impossible. Um, I never he- hear about a coach that uh, think he can't uh, do it. But there is a big gap between uh, the expectation here and the reality on the field. But the field and conditions in Lautoka will give the Fijians a chance. Defender Tommy Smith says playing in the islands is never easy. With the exception of a couple of injured players, including captain Winston Reid, all of New Zealand's best made themselves available for these games. Smith, who plays for Ipswich Town, says with the Confederations Cup coming up, the players have everything to play for. For us players, every game is important because we want to be putting ourselves in the window to stay in the squad, really, and, and impress the gaffer um, to stay in the squad. And obviously we've got a big tournament in June that everyone wants to be a part of, so everyone's fighting tooth and nail for those places in the squad. That's Tommy Smith. A win against Fiji over the two legs will put them into the Oceania final and win that, and there's a game against the fifth-place team from South America. Uh, The return game against Fiji is in Wellington on Tuesday. The Kiwis forward Jason Tomalolo has this week signed the longest contract deal in National Rugby League history. The 10-year deal with North Queensland will keep the 23-year-old at the Townsville-based club until the end of the 2027 season. He was the NRL Player of the Year last season, and the contract, believed to be worth $11 million, puts him among the game's highest-paid players. Picked up and play on for Tal Malolo. Tal Malolo! Tal Malolo! Tal Malolo! Tal Malolo! Tal Malolo! Tal Malolo!
The Kiwi International won the prestigious Dalie M Award last year, the NRL's prize for Player of the Year. Tom Malolo made his NRL debut with North Queensland in 2010, and he dabbled with the possibility of moving to the NFL when he went to trials in the United States in the recent off-season. But upon his return, he surprised the club by offering to sign on for 10 more years, something coach Paul Green says took plenty of consideration. Took us by surprise also, but I think the upside clearly outweighs those risks and all of the management of the club looked very closely at it. Um, When we weighed it all up, we felt that the positives far outweighed the negatives. Tom Alolo signed with North Queensland when he was just 14, and he says the deal will take him through to the end of his playing career. Ten-year deal, bring me to my end of my career, and I've started my journey here, and I'll finish it here too. The Warriors, who offered Tom Alolo a $2 million contract in 2015, were one of several clubs who had expressed interest in signing him. Warriors coach Stephen Kearney says Tom Alolo's achievements show he's among the sport's elite players. Massive for a massive fella. Um, I mean, he's put himself into you know the premier one of the premier players in our game, isn't he? I mean, he shared the Dalian medal last year with you know Cooper Cronk, and so you know for me he's elevated himself to that position. And in our game, you get rewarded if you you know if you um, if you're getting the job done, and he certainly has done that over the last probably two or three years. While Jason Tomalolo's deal might be the longest in NRL history, trumping daily Cherry Evans' eight-year deal with Manly in 2015, it pales in comparison to other professional contracts. NBA legend Magic Johnson signed a 25-year deal with the LA Lakers in 1981, although he subsequently retired from basketball in 1991 after revealing he was HIV positive. The Russian ice hockey player Ilya Kovalchuk signed a 15-year deal with the New Jersey Devils in 2010, but he quit just three years later to return to Russia. Stephen Hewson with that report. Well, that's extra time for this week. Follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.